what do you look for in a friend? And if you have a friend, I hope you do. What do you value most in that friend? You probably would give a different, I hope you would, a different take on this than the world gives. In our world, most often people prefer friends who will flatter them. I don't know through the years how many times I've talked to people and they're going through a situation. I'm talking about folks in church. They're going through a situation which requires the wisdom of God. But they've been talking to people at work who don't know the Lord. They're getting another kind of wisdom, man's wisdom, which is in reality foolishness. And most of the time those friends will tell them, look, do what's in your heart. Do what you feel. Do whatever makes you happy. And unfortunately, I've found, even in my own friendships through the years, friendships in our culture often involve mutual encouragements to sin. And, and that's why we need to remember something that the Bible tells us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, students, I know that your, your parents and grandparents tell you, cultivate true friendships. And even at church, you really can't take that for granted. Even at church, be discerning about those friendships. Now, I open with this because what I want you to hear today is that James is a true friend. You see, a real friend like James will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. A real friend like James will hold up a mirror. You know, that's the imagery found in chapter 1, the latter part of chapter 1. And he starts out talking about the, the, the Word, and then he talks about the mirror of the Word. A real friend will tell you, will hold up a mirror if necessary. I mean, really, how many of you have a friend that's a good enough friend that after you've eaten a meal together and you're smiling and you're around some other people, that friend will go That's why you test real friendship. A real friend will do that. Now, a real friend, listen to this, will sacrifice a temporary moment of feeling good so that you won't be embarrassed long term. They'll hold up the mirror to show you that your hair is messed up or there's something in your teeth or in other places that might be even worse. Real friends will be honest like James enough, will love you enough to tell you the truth about yourself. Now let's get past just the physical. A real friend will point out spiritual flaws. Jan is my best friend. And there are times when she tells me something, she corrects something that needs to be corrected because it is a spiritual flaw. And, and I don't know about you guys when your wife tries to correct you. I know you women never feel like this, but there are times when I just kind of bow my neck until I realize that she's not trying to embarrass me. She's trying to help me. The other day, I'll just tell one of them, just recently, just a couple of days ago, and we were in a social setting, and later on that day, she didn't do it there, but she said, Honey, you have a tendency when you're talking to someone 
to look around as if you're waiting for the next person to come along instead of focusing on that one person. Now, if I did that to you this last week or if I've done that to you in the past, I need to tell you that I'm, I'm sorry. I should give you my full attention until we are through and then I can look around to see who the next person is. You know, the one who tells you, who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. And I appreciate the fact that as my best friend, a lot of times people say, oh, my wife or my husband is my best friend. That's one of the things that a best friend can do because she wants me to be truly blessed. Now, we're going to read the scriptures And as we read them, I want you to read them with this idea that James gets in our stuff. He's holding a mirror up, and it might sound as if he is being harsh. He's getting into our faces so that the Word might get into our hearts. And so as we listen to the reading of this passage of Scripture, chapter 3, verse 16, and then the first ten verses of the rest of chapter 4, I want you to listen to that. Take this passage as a whole thought, and then we're going to break it down. There's a lot of stuff going on with the outline. But that's a flow of thought that I want you to see, and we're going to work our way through that. So would you please stand with me now with your Bibles open? To James chapter 3, we'll start out with verse 16, because that that is the the summary of that about wisdom and to, to be a wise man, not to be a foolish person. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every kind of vile practice. And then skip over the next few verses down to chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have. So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Father, we thank You now for Your Word that is really very, very clear. I admit, Lord, that sometimes like when a friend tells me that there is something amiss, at first I do not want to receive it. I pray that you would help us get past that because James indeed uses strong words. Murderers. Adulterers. Father, help us to see that you are after the ultimate goal of your glory and of our good. And so, Father, help us with this now as we study these words together and help us to glean exactly what we need so that we might humble ourselves before you so that you might exalt us in the right way. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, let's start out in the first couple of verses. Because of our ongoing struggle with sin, we will always have a problem with relational conflict. Now, folks, it's important that you see this. And I'm talking to believers here. Every conflict... Now, remember last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can't remember it, so I'll just say it again. We're not saying that life is not without disagreement. You might remember something that we said last week. Disagreement is inevitable, but conflict is optional. I told you that I'd read many commentators who said conflict is inevitable. Well, if conflict is inevitable, then combat is optional. So where you have disagreement, it does not have to issue into conflict. I was talking to someone in between our annual meeting in the service. We were talking uh, uh, about our, our elders, and the person was, was telling me, thank you, thank you that the elders do what they do and, and work in certain ways. We had a matter of church discipline to to, to finally consummate and take care of. And, and, and I, I, I told him this. You know, I said, I we're preaching on this today. But I can honestly tell you that while our elders sometimes are vigorous with our disagreements, I don't know of a time that we have ever really been in conflict. Now, here's the thing that I know about you. And whatever conflict... I'm talking about not about disagreement, but I'm talking about when your disagreement escalated into conflict. We use this commonly, but it's it fits. Again, I, I was driving the other day. Pulled over, put my blinker on. I thought in plenty of time, but the fella coming up after me was coming up in, in a hurry. And so he flashed his lights. He honked his horn. And he gave me a sign. And I don't think it was the peace sign. Now, I had a disagreement. Obviously, he had a disagreement with me. He allowed what, now, now look at this. He allowed what was inside of him internally to come out externally. And that's why I said a minute ago that I know something about you that if you ever have a conflict where you're conflicted with someone, then it's because that there is something going on inside of you about which you are conflicted. And I tell you, I have talked with people over and over again. I'm not talking about when someone like that person, I had nothing against that person. Obviously, he disagreed with the way I was driving. He let it come out. But I know something about him, that he was conflicted internally. How do I know it? I don't even know the guy. I know it because James says it. What is the source of your warring in all of your relationships of life. Whether it's driving down the road or it's at home with your spouse or it's between a child or a child a parent or, or friends or someone in the church. You see, Scripture is very, very clear. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm going to give you in just a few moments, I hope you saw it, I'm, and it's on your notes, I'm going to give you God's solution to every problem in your life in just a few minutes. God's solution for your conflict. God's solution for your prayerlessness. It's all here. God's solution for your worldliness, if that happens to be one of your problems. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of places, and I, I'm not going to act to put these places on the, uh, the overhead because I want you to use your Bible. And I want you to turn, first of all, 
Uh, well, back to James 1.14, okay? Back to James 1.14. I'll give you a chance to do this because I want you to see how Scripture is always its own best commentary. You can write down these verses, if you will. I think I've got them right up here on the screen so you can see them. James 1, 14 and 15. Here he says it. Before he says it again that we just read, he says it in another way. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, lust. Then when desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So everyone comes into conflict with another person by virtue of what's inside. Now, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4 and go to verse... Let's start out in... Let's see, is it 426? I think it is 326. I got that. That's a typo. It's wrong. It should be 326. Galatians 326. And then 4, 6, and then we're going to jump over to 5, 16. Okay? We'll just follow along. First of all, in 3, 26. Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, you got that? How do you become a son of God? Through faith. It is not through joining the church. It is not through jumping through any kind of other hoop. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the power, it says in John 1.12, to become children of God. And so by faith you become a son of God. Now, slide down to chapter 4 and verse 6 because something very important happens to you the moment that you have faith in Jesus Christ savingly. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of God lives in you if you are a child of God, if you are a son or a daughter of God. And then lastly, jump over to chapter 5 and verse 16, where Paul is giving a warning. We're going to look at this fleshed out in his own life in 5.16, Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, stop there and look at me. How many of you have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, living inside of you. If you're a child of God, that is true of you. And that's why Paul can say, walk by the Spirit who lives inside of you and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Read on in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other keep you from doing the things you want. Now lastly, jump over to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to see a a lived out experience of, of arguably the most spiritual man, aside from the Lord Jesus, one of those spiritual men who has ever lived in Romans chapter 7, in verses 21 through 24. Romans 7. 21 through 24. Paul said, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight to do the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he concludes his thought with these words, Wretched man that I am. 
So let me go back to my previous statement. If there is a conflict between you and someone else that you are actively involved in, it is because there is a conflict in you internally. And I don't know what your particular bent towards sin is. I just know that we all have them. And while we fall into many kinds of sins, I, I believe that there are particular people and particular Christians who will have a bent or a, what else could we call it, a predisposition, a proclivity, an orientation towards certain kinds of sin. Now, what James is using, let's go back to the, the book of James. James is using, for example, the Sixth Commandment right here in this passage. And what he is saying is, internally, there is among you, there is a violation of the Sixth Commandment because you have these passions going on and you don't get what you want. You don't get your agenda and so it erupts into a murderous attitude. Now, I, I don't know. Commentators, some say that there was actual murder going on. I think it's probably something more akin to what Jesus was talking about that we mentioned last week. But in other words, if you step back and look at it, James is using the mirror of the law, the Ten Commandments, to show us our sin. I think it would be a good exercise for you just to walk through someday. You can look them up in Exodus chapter 20. There's the, the whole body of it. Just to look up the particular sins, go down the list and ask yourself, what particular sin is it that I most easily fall into? A lot of times the things that you do grow out of a good desire. But you're just trying to meet them in the wrong way. For example, God in the seventh commandment said, You shall be pure because I am pure. Well, that's the positive statement. The negative statement is, You shall not commit adultery. In the sixth commandment, like what he is saying here, God is the life giver. Therefore, you shall give life, but because of your attitude inside and the conflict going on inside of you, when you don't get your way, you lash out. And that's equivalent with murder. Here's what I've discovered about non-believers. I think it spills over into the life of a believer, particularly one who is not walking in the Spirit. They justify. People pretty much justify whatever proclivity or, or bias or orientation they have. If it's to becoming angry, they will just chalk it up to, well, that person made me mad. If it's about lying, they will justify it. If it's about coveting, yes, they will justify that. But if you are a believer, the second you trusted Christ, you need to know this, a conflict was set up. That without constant attention to walking in the Spirit, the outer conflict in your relationships will erupt. Listen, when he basically calls them murderers, it didn't come from nothing. So let's move on to the second one. Because of your ongoing struggle with sin, it's interesting that, that, that James mentions this. You will have problems with your prayer life. Did you see what he said? You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That's the first problem with possibly your prayer life. The pleasure first kind of lifestyle will also show up in your prayer life and in this case, the first thing he 
he, he mentions is, and I'll say it like this, or lack of it. Christian, why don't you pray? Now, please don't get mad at me. I, I know I'm not talking to every Christian in here because I know that there are some of you who through a, a great deal of discipline, you have ordered your life so that you pray. But I'm asking of some of you, and, and I'm, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to convict you enough, even as he has convicted me, why don't you pray? Bottom line that he seems to be indicating, it's an attitude, you know, God, I've got this covered. Now, you don't say that to God. You don't say, God, I I, I can do this without your help. But when you seek, gain the things that you need without his help through prayerlessness that's pretty much what you are communicating and so James warns those people his immediate audience and he's warning us he's warning you and me because of our ongoing struggle with sin we will have problems in our prayer life but then he goes on to a second thing He says, there are those of you who pray, but you pray with the wrong motive so that you can spend it on your passions. I paused for a moment and I asked the question, why don't you pray? And again, this is so God can do business with us as individuals, okay? But the second question that I would ask is, when you pray, why does it seem that the heavens are like brass? James nails it again. He says, you're praying but you're praying the kind of prayer where you're asking God, and and it's not just about stuff, but basically you're asking God to do something from your own agenda, not from His. First John chapter 3. 22 and 514 says it like this whatever we ask we receive from him isn't that a marvelous promise but there there's always a a caveat that goes with it whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight in other words the prayer that pleases God that gets results is a God-honoring prayer. It's one that looks for God's agenda instead of our own. He goes on, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What's the caveat there? According to His will. What James is saying is, Christian, watch out for prayers that further your own agenda. Let's move on to the third thing before we get to God's solution, all right? This is just a breakdown. We're walking through this because of our ongoing struggle with sin that we we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul. Surely if it's in the life of Paul, it's, it's going to be in us. We're going to have problems with relational conflict. We're going to have problems with prayer life. And then we're going to have problems with worldliness. It's the pleasure first life. He says his friendship with the world. Now, now here, here is what he's not saying. He's not saying just withdraw yourself, go live life in a monastery and never have contact with people who are out there in the world. He's not talking about making friends with people in the world. 
he's talking about adopting the lifestyle and the customs of people who are not Christians. Allowing the things of the world that are good to subtly and then eventually not so subtly take God's place. I want you to turn we're turning a little bit more today because I just want you to see these in Scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. Because again, this word that James is saying, it's borne out in Scripture and other places. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money not money the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil it is through this craving some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains this was the problem with the rich young ruler he he, he came honestly saying what must i do to inherit eternal life Jesus saw that he had an idol, his money. He knew that whatever seed was planted there would not grow up, would be choked like the third soil in the parable of the, so of the soils, the thorny soil here. And so he said, get rid of the stuff that entangles you. Get rid of your idols and come follow me. Demas Paul mentioned Demas, who loved this present world. I read this and, and, and realized this experiment that was done several years ago is an incredible picture of the reality of how we are attracted to other things. It, it's the butterfly experiment. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it. I never had. It shows the foolishness of male butterflies, by the way. Okay? But in the experiment, a male butterfly will be, get this, attracted more to a cardboard cutout of a female butterfly more than to the actual female as long as it is bigger than the actual female. Now, I'll just let you take that where it needs to go in your own mind. But, but I think it has all kinds of implications. And I was thinking about all of these things that other people go through a desire for these bigger and better and all of a sudden it hit me preachers can fall into that quicker than anybody bigger is better and, and, and in, in the experiment this is actually it's literally true that male butterfly was flitting around the cardboard the fake female butterfly while the female was over here flitting its wings saying look at me look at me What a parable of being sucked in by the world system. So those are the problems that James gives us. Relational conflicts, prayerlessness, problems with your prayer life, and worldliness. So, let's get to God's solution. Shall we? God has a part and you have a part. Here's God's part. He has an attentive and protective love for you and He gives you greater grace. Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, we've been talking about that, but there's a particular part of this verse that I want you to see. Of any likeness that is in heaven above or 
on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, now watch this, for I, the Lord your God, am a, what kind of God? Whoa. Now I can just tell you right up front, a few years ago, I, for whatever reason this came up, Oprah didn't like that. And then later on he talks about this again. Not only that that's an adjective that describes him, but he says in 34.14, For you shall not worship any other god for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Is a jealous God. Did you know that God's names, at least one of him, his names is Jealous? When you pray, do you thank him? I, I know that many of you thank him. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. Mm. Lord, you are the provider. You meet all my needs. I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. Oh, you are the healer. You are Jehovah Shalom. You are my peace. And all of those are good and all of those are true. Those are names of God. But when was the last time you consciously said in your prayer, I thank you, Lord, that you are jealous over me. That is a good thing. He wants you for his glory. He knows because he created you that if you find your greatest joy in him, what is the chief end and purpose of man? That we glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Remember, you can change one of those words. Glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And God loves us with a jealous love. We go on. It says He gives more grace. That, that concept is grace heaped upon grace. If you think of a picture of Niagara Falls... If you've ever been there and the water just keeps coming and you look at it and I know you're never wondering is it ever going to run out that's the way God's grace is he gives us more grace to do the very things that he calls us to do so here's what he calls us to do here they are in quick succession these are all commands by the way stop what you're doing and do this first of all submit to God why because he's God but not only that, because he is the superior uh, treasure. And because he's the superior pleasure. Psalmist says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This is the basis. the funeral service this last Thursday where we celebrated Carolyn Bruce's life. The theme of that whole thing, my comments, choose Christ. That's, that's what this is. This is choose Christ. Submit to Him. Listen to me. And I, I, I believe with all of my heart that this is right. You don't receive Jesus in a saving way if all you choose Him for is a ticket out of hell and into heaven. Did you catch that? He's not a ticket. He's a treasure. He's our greatest treasure. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. So submit to God. The second thing, resist the devil. He'll flee from you and draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The devil is your greatest enemy, not flesh and blood, not God. So resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He'll run. Draw near to God, and what does it say? He will draw near to you. Listen, Jesus bought your righteousness so that you could draw near to him and so let me just say it like this there are two views that you as a Christian ought to cultivate you know what they are from this passage 
The first one is the devil's backside. And the second is the face of God. Third thing, wash your hands and purify your heart. This is simply a picture of repentance from sin, the inner and the outer. Purify your heart leads to washing your hands. It's a posture that we have toward God, not just when we receive salvation. I've used this illustration over and over. We were turned away from Him. We need to turn to Him. Wash your hands and purify your heart. And then this next one almost seems weird for Christians today. Because, and and rightly so, Christians should be filled with joy. All right? So what's all this business about be wretched and mourn and weep? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Can you do that and still be a joy-filled Christian? You see, you can't be joy-filled until you understand what we've been delivered from. And this is a picture of a person. I mentioned a second ago, I alluded to this very thing. When Paul, talking about that struggle on the inside with sin, this is a picture of what erupts from his heart when he says, Wretched man that I am. talking about this on Wednesday night in our little study group. We have lost somehow, largely, I'm talking about us, we've lost the sense of being devastated by sin and our sin nature. That's why going to to places like Psalm 51 and Matthew 5-4, there's blessedness in our understanding what causes God pain. I saw a picture of this in my own heart. I mark my Bible. I, I, I don't know if you do. I, I know you probably can't see that. But I mark my Bible, and I was reading. This happened this morning. And here I was, and I thought, I'm really going to say something about Christians not taking sin seriously. I, I had that kind of thought, I'm going to step on their toes. Now, not mean, but I just thought this will... This will be one of those toe-touching kinds of things. But then I noticed in my Bible, and right here it is, and I corrected myself because I had all of these things submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I had those not only underlined once, underlined in black and red and highlighted in yellow. That, that's, a, that's a triple thing that you need to look at. But I looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to these people about being serious about sin and I only have one black line under this part about be wretched and mourn. And I said, God, forgive me. That shows where I am. Do I take God seriously over my sin you know what I did I repented I washed my hands I purified my heart I took my red ink pen I underlined it I took my yellow highlighter and it's all because it is all important I just don't think you will understand I know I won't the joy of knowing Jesus unless I understand on a daily basis how grievous my sin is to God and what it cost him that he sent his son. Now, I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation, and you are too. But until you see, Lord, it's not someone else. I'm the man. Like Pogo said, the old cartoon strip, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Last thing is, is humble yourself before the Lord. This is something you do not wait on God to do. It's something you do every day. The best definition of humility that I've ever heard, and just remember this, humility is accepting what God says about you without arguing. Accepting what God says about you without argument. So if there's something in your life where he says, that's sin, 
Lord, I, I accept it. Help me confess. Wash my hands. Purify my heart. Turn away from that. Be, be grieved over that. Weep. Things I laugh over. Help me let that laughter be turned into gloom over my sin. But when he says, as a child of God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I accept what you say without argument. That is the wonder of the gospel. And the very last things that James has said is this. If you do your part with all of those commands, God will do his part. If you humble yourself, what's he going to do? Lift you up. You become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that your word is clear. Mm. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes we can make it very unclear, very fuzzy. God, I pray that today for those of us who know you, who love you, we would hear what James says, that we would see your solution is the way out of relational conflicts and prayerlessness and worldliness. Lord, help us to follow that. You've given us your Holy Spirit. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have empowered what you have commanded. And so, Lord, let us live it out this week. For those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's my prayer that today you would see the wonder, the beauty of Jesus who came to earth, who lived his life perfectly, who died on Calvary's cross in place of sinners like us. And by repenting, turning away from sin, and turning to Jesus, you can enter into eternal life. Father, grant that there would be those who would do that today. Now help us as we seal this with a song of affirmation and confirmation. And then as we go from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing, have a benediction, and then be dismissed.
knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory now and forever. And all God's people said,